that has volunteered to die for you. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ and those who protect our freedom. And so thank you for that, for that service. And uh, the service to a nation is also holy unto God. He designed nations, told us to spread out and to be in nations, and he divided the kingdoms. And then he did that, and also so that they could protect themselves. You can go into um, all the way back to Genesis, and it's somewhere between 16 and 18 right there, when uh, these five armies were come in, and they took Lot and his family. Um, it word got back to Abraham. And Abraham had 300 and some of his servants who were his trained soldiers that he trained personally all the time for such a time as this. And they went in and defeated those five armies with just his trained militia and the help of God with him. So it's, it is a holy calling that the servicemen and women have. So thank you for that service and we're going to pray for them as we begin, but also for uh, uh, Libby and Dorothy and then Paul and Sherry Silcox uh, also. Is Paige here? Uh, she was going to stay down here. Uh, yeah, go ahead and get her and we'll do it afterwards. We'll go ahead and pray and then when Paige comes, we're going to sing happy birthday to her and all those that's on here as a birthday wish as well. Come here, Paige. We'll do that first. And then also, Ron's not here today, but Ron Thacker is having a birthday, and Craig Bennett, and Brooke, Zoe, they're all having birthdays this week, Ashley Williams and Diane Phillips. So we're going to sing happy birthday to all of you, but especially to Paige right here, who turned six today, or yesterday, right? Yeah. So happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Paige and everybody else. Happy birthday to you. Awesome. There you go, hon. All right, if, if you would, let's stand for a moment as we pray for our, our sick, for those who who need help i know we got people that need help financially and stuff as well and uh we got people who aren't doing good so let's let's say a prayer for all of these things and father in heaven holy art thou and we offer up our tribute of praise and hope unto you father as we reach out to you our sovereign god and Father, we thank you for all the blessings of life. We thank you for your son who died for us on that cross at Calvary. We thank you for all the men and women who have given their lives, either with the ultimate sacrifice or just with their time for those years spent there. We, we thank you for their dedication and service as well. And Father, we also at this time are mindful of the body of Christ here at this place. We're family, Father. Just like it said in our last song, we are family here together. And so, Father, I pray for those who have the financial needs and they, we turn it over to you, Father, to work and that we help as much as we can. 
And Father, for those of our numbers who are sick, there's a lot that aren't here today because of that. And there's some traveling on the roads, and we pray it should be with them. But especially, Father, I'm praying for Libby and her battle with cancer and Dorothy and her battle with the heart that she's been having. And got word today that that Paul and Sherry Silcox wanted our prayers, that they're not doing well. So, Father, I just pray for all of these and all of those that's over on our list at the side as well. Bring these names before you, Father. You already knew about them, but we just admonish you in prayer that you would be with them. Bless them, Father. Place your hand of protection around them. Let them feel that warm comfort and peace that passes all understanding from you to them, Father. And let them all know that you are in control. And we thank you for what you're about to do with our worship service this morning to you. Our songs, our prayers, our study, our word, and our fellowship afterwards and our communion is all directed towards you, Father, in worship because you are worthy of our worship. And we pray these things in the blessed name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And As we get ready to roll this morning... Uh, If you want to turn to Ephesians 1, my goal and my thought from my human side was, we're going to study Ephesians chapter 1. Guess how far I got? One verse. Because something else took over and just started directing me in in other things. And it said, because we're going to find out in a minute, the first word is Paul. And it was like, we need to know a little something about him. So if you want to mark your Bibles as we get ready, we're going to be in Ephesians 1, but only that first verse. And then we're going to be in several places. We're going to be in Acts 7 through 9, if you want to mark that, in Philippians 3, because those will be our main sources today. So I just prepare you for that. The key phrase in this book, Ephesians, is probably the crown jewel of the epistles. There is so much wealth in Ephesians. There is so much that says what a treasure it is and what treasure we have by being in Christ Jesus. You're going to find out that this book is just so awesome. Come on in, folks. Come on in. And uh, the key phrase, though, is in Christ. Boy, prayers were already answered. I just prayed for you, Libby. All, all of us together just prayed, and here you are. It's awesome. The key phrase in Ephesians is in Christ, and the blessings and all of the things that we have in Christ Jesus. Everything that you think about in this life, you're going to find out isn't worth a hoot and a holler. It's all about being in Christ, and it's all about eternal life. So the answer to the only question in life that matters is this. Are you saved? Are you saved? I want you to think about that as we go through this whole thing today. Are you saved? Are you in Christ? And am I in him and ready if that time is to come? So this book starts out in verse 1 of Ephesians with what appears to be just a simple phrase. And I'm sure if you're like me and you just read it, you read over that because you want to get to what you think is the meat of the book. 
But let's read that first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints. You know, that's you and I, because it says in Ephesus, most of the early manuscripts in Ephesus wasn't there. So it was to all of them, but also the faithful, as it ends, in Christ Jesus. This book is written to you and I. It was to them at that time, but it's to all who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So everything that is talked about in here is for us today. Sounds like a simple greeting, but it packs such a powerful punch. I'm going to show you why I couldn't get past this first verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16 says something very emphatically there. It says that no one... And you might be able to underscore that there in verse 11. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. If someone tells you that they know what God thinks and they know what God wants and it's not backed by the Word of God, then they don't really know. Because it says that no one knows what God wants and what the Spirit of God wants except that Spirit that has searched Him. The only one who knows the mind of God. It says the deep things of God is the Spirit of God. Just like no one really knows you, the deep things of you, except you yourself. The only one who knows the deep things of God is the Spirit of God. And He has revealed what He wants us to know by that Spirit that searched those things out and has revealed it to us. By the writers of the Holy Scripture. Only those in Christ, it goes on to say, can understand the Word of God. Why? Because the Word is spiritually discerned. And the carnal man, if you're reading up there, goes on to say that the carnal man cannot understand it. It's even going to be foolishness to them. Those that are without Christ, The word of God is foolishness to them because it's spiritually discerned. And it closes with that truth that the whole Bible, if you look up there, the whole Bible is the mind of Christ. It says we have now with us the mind of Christ. So as Peter then writes and talks about this apostle Paul and people being moved by the Holy Spirit, he says this, no prophecy... No word of God ever, ever came by the will of man. But it came by the will of the Holy Spirit who moved through men as God spoke. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. And these things are writing down. So you think about the words of Christ in red and a lot of people emphasize that. But I'm here to tell you that Corinthians said the entire Bible is the mind of Christ. Everything could be highlighted in red. Because John 1, 1 said what? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But then the Word was crucified. But the Word arose again on the third day, didn't He? So, and the Word still lives. So the Word was in the beginning... And the word is still alive and going to come back for us one day. So all of this scripture is Christ Jesus. In the beginning was the word. He is the word. So you could highlight every word in this scripture as read. 
It is all the mind of Christ for what he wanted us to know. It wasn't just to a specific city or for a specific time. It is for all time. And it's for us. Ephesians starts out for those, not only at Ephesus, but all those who are in Christ Jesus. This word comes to all of us. Again, in Peter, as he goes on, he's talking about this man that we're going to see his conversion today in 2 Peter chapter 3. And he says, you know, Paul writes a lot of hard things. Let's read what he said there in verse 14 beginning. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace and without spot or blemish, considering that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom that's been given to him. So you see, it's been given to him by the Holy Spirit. That the wisdom given to him that he has written to us, as also in all of the epistles, speaking in them these things, which to some... They're hard to understand. And those who are untaught and unstable, they try to twist these words. They try to twist them as they do all of the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this now, since we've been warned, don't be led astray. Beware lest you fall from your steadfastness and be led astray by these things. But... We are admonished to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So folks, all of these epistles that's in there by Paul or whoever is for our learning. And we're going to see how magnificent they are and what hope that they generate. And Jesus spoke to us in the Gospels and and you combine all of that and the Old Testament is our teacher that, that undermines and places the foundation of what's written in the New. Almost every verse goes back to the Old Testament. So it's all one book and it's all the mind of Christ. And so for the church, these epistles are written to us. So verse 1 establishes a truth. So let's go back and read that again real quick. Ephesians 1. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. So both of them have their hand upon him and the Spirit fills him with these words. So all three members of the Godhead admonish him as the servant of the Lord. He's writing to all of us, the saints in Ephesus and the faithful who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. So then... The first word there struck me, Paul. Since he is the chosen one of Christ, let's start with him. And let's understand, I thought, we've not talked about his conversion yet. So let's do that. Let's get to know him a little bit. Let's get to know the one that's writing to us and see what transformed in his life and see what a great admonition that is to you and I for our life. You know... We're going to go now to Acts chapter 7, if you would. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen there, he was selected to be a deacon of the church at Jerusalem back in chapter 6. He was a man that was full of truth and wisdom in the spirit of the Lord. And he was a mighty preacher of the man of, of, a man of the word of God. 
And they didn't like that he was preaching this Jesus. So they took him and they brought him before their synagogue and before their rulers and their leaders. And he gave his defense. And it's a marvelous defense of the word of God. Proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then he says this, chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. It says that they were cut to the heart in rage when they heard him. They couldn't dispute him. And they cast him out of the city. And in verse 58, they stoned him. And all of the witness who participated in his stoning cast their cloaks at the feet of a man by the name of Saul. So this is the first ominous mention of Saul of Tarsus, the man of God who's going to become Paul. He is the Hebrew of Hebrews. He is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He is one of the greatest men of his time in the religious world as it was. Then being emboldened by what he did with Stephen and all of the supporters that were there, he went on and started persecuting the rest of the church. And it goes on to say that he began breathing out threatenings. He made havoc of the church. In verse 3 there it says that Saul entered into every house. And went in and grabbed them. Grabbed and drugged both men and women out. And committed them to prison. He was breathing all of these threats and slaughters. And then he took a letter. And he went out after all of the rest of the people. And then in verse 3 of chapter 9. As we continue to move on through the book of Acts to chapter 9. It says that. Being emboldened by all this and dragging them out of their houses. Now he's going to go outside of Jerusalem and he's on the road to Damascus. And as he is going in all of his height and all of his glory. It says suddenly a light shone all around him. Whose source was from heaven. And he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him in verse 4. Saul, Saul. He said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And it's hard for you to kick against the pricks or the goads. And that word there is a word that whenever they were a farming community and they hooked the oxen up to the plow, the oxen would sometimes become spooked and they're big and they could run off and they could damage things and hurt people. And what they did was behind their legs as they walked, they had the long bar that went behind them that all of the ropes went through to help guide. But in the middle of that bar was stakes sharpened to a point and just a little bit back behind the legs so that if they tried to kick or to run or be disobedient, when they did, it would be pricked by these goads and cause such pain that they would stop and they learned not to rebel And the Lord here tells Saul, you're rebelling against me. And it's hard for you to kick against the ox goads or the pricks that I've put behind you because I've brought you down now on your knees in this light. And then he says this, why are you persecuting me? I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. If you are in Christ, if you're Christians, I thought Saul was persecuting Christians. And dragging them out of the houses. And taking them off to prison. Jesus wasn't anywhere around was he? No. But it says here. Why are you persecuting me? If you are in Christ. 
you are part of the body of Christ, you are his body. And it is him also that you are doing. What did he say? If you have given a glass of water in someone's name, you've done it unto who? Me. If, if a couple of you are gathered together, who's in the midst of us? Me. So whenever somebody is after you, they're also after Christ. And he says, why are you persecuting me? He's trembling in fear and astonished at what happened. And verse 6, he says, but Lord, what then would you have me to do? And he says, arise. I want you to go on into the city and there it will be told you what thou must do. And these men that were traveling with him were speechless. They had saw the light, heard the voice, but they could see no man. They didn't see the light. They just heard the voice and they saw no man. But when he got up off the ground, he was completely blind and disabled in that way. And it says they took him by the hand and they led him on into the city. And when he got to Damascus, he was there three days without his sight. And he went without food and he just prayed, wondering what the Lord had in store for him. And then it says that the Lord came to a man named Ananias in verse 10. And he said, Ananias, I want you to go down to a street called Straight and search for the house of Judas. Because there, there is a man named Saul of Tarsus who is there praying. And I'm going to send you to him. Well, Saul's fame is throughout. They knew that he was coming there to persecute the Christians. And Ananias, and so would I, would have went, Lord, you sure you want me to go? <laughs> have you not heard what this guy's doing to everybody? I mean, they stoned Stephen. He's dragging people out of houses, throwing them in prison, and you're wanting me to go there? Are you serious? And he says, yes, I want you to go there. And I want you to tell him, go, he's a chosen vessel of mine. Hear that? The resurrected Lord says, this man is my chosen vessel. And you know what he's going to have to do? He says to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and even before the children of Israel. For I am thou going to show him the things that he must suffer for my name's sake. He was persecuting now he's going to be a vessel and get persecuted. His cursing is turned into blessing through this service. And then in Acts nine seventeen through 20, it says that Ananias did what the Lord asked him to do. That took a lot of faith. Whew. I would have had to have said, okay, Lord, but, you know, please, I'd be praying. Protect me. Be with me now. And I'm sure Ananias did. And he walked in there and he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road here has sent me to you to say to receive your sight and to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And immediately it says as if scales came from his eyes, he was able to see. And then the word of God goes on to say in verse 18 that Saul immediately arose and was baptized into Christ. An outward confession and display of the faith that he had had by meeting Christ on the road. And being there in prayer. And it says then, a couple of days ago he was the persecutor of Christians. Today he is one. And so now he begins to go out after that immediately preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And being his vessel. And publicly declaiming that. And in verse 20, you see the total change of life that true faith and belief comes with. 
He totally changed and reversed court. He was persecuting and now he is one and he's going to be persecuted. A 180 change. And now we see why the Holy Spirit back in Ephesians chapter 1. All of this now brings about the truth of this man Saul. When it says Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ. By the will of God. Oh before we move on with this. How it's going to apply to us. One more little nugget of truth. I thought you said his name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Why does it say Paul here? I'm glad you asked that. Because I I was looking that up this week. Reason was Paul was a Roman citizen. And the Roman citizens they had this tradition. That if you had a great feat or accomplishment. The name that had been given to you can still apply But they also gave you a name of honor that goes along with that. Now some of our great men, presidents, generals, they are now known by a different moniker along with their name. Teachers, and there's a lot of them. Chiefs, fire chiefs, there's a lot of folks that has another title placed in there. I'll give you one from Paul's time. There was a a man that was named Scipio. Uh, He's Publius something Scipio but he was a great military general and so what was added to his name was Africanus because he was the one who led the troops into Egypt and into Africa and conquered it for Rome and because of that great honor he was now known as Scipio Africanus Paul is now an apostle of Jesus Christ the word Saul means desire and to be desired and to desire he changed his name in recognition and honor to that of Paulos Philippians 3 if you want to go there we're going to be finishing out the rest of our time in Philippians 3 pretty much but look at verse 4 through 6 though also I might have confidence that means something that you place trust in and rely upon he said If we're talking about this flesh versus the spirit kind of thing. In the flesh, if you think you have confidence in who you are, listen to who I was. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. I, concerning zeal, I persecuted the Lord. He goes on and on of his accomplishments in the flesh. And I was Saul, the desired one. Of the tribe of Benjamin. So his name would have been like Saul. Benjamin of Tarsus. Would have been his name. And he said. I persecuted the church. I was a big shot. In the flesh. But then I saw this light. On the road to Damascus. And Jesus came to me. And I seen that I was. In rebellion against him. And his will of what he wanted for my life. And. I am now a changed man. And I'm also going to now go by a new name in that accomplishment that I have. And he says, I'm going to be Paulos. And the word Paulos means small, little, and insignificant. He says, no longer do I want to be known as the desired one and the desires of my flesh that I'm trying to fulfill. But I am Paul. I'm only somebody because I'm in Christ. And so I am small and insignificant. And he 
is my everything. He had been confident in his flesh for salvation. He was trying to work. He had that zeal. He thought persecuting Christians was going to win favor with God. And God must approve of me because of what I'm doing. And Jesus said, it ain't about you. It's about me. It's about being in Christ. And he learned that. And he's top dog. And then he would go on to say in a different book in Galatians, he would say, I'm crucified with Christ. That means my life is over. I've died to self. I'm crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, I live. Yet now, the life that I live is a life by faith in the Christ, the one who died for me and gave himself for me. And so I no longer live to fulfill those desires of my own. I am Paulos. I am Paul. Nothing but a small, insignificant servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, with that in mind, going on to verse 7, then, of our verses in Philippians here, it says, and here's where I'm just going to let the Word of God begin to speak to us as we go rolling through here, because the Word of God is so alive and powerful. And it says, What things I thought were gained to me, these things I have now counted as nothing but loss for Christ. I gave them up. Yes, indeed, I count all things for loss because of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things that I had, but I count those things that I used to treasure as rubbish. And that word rubbish there is sky balon. Balo is the last one. That's where we get ball to be thrown. Sky is from a, a, a word that means dog. And he says, everything that I used to treasure in this life, I figured out as nothing but to be thrown to the dogs. It is worthless. And the Koine Greek that it was written in is the common language of the people. So it also means waste or dung. And so he says, it's all but a wheelbarrow full of excrement that I have. On all the things that I used to desire, I gave them up. Because of Christ. And then he says that why did I do that? That I might gain Christ Jesus who saved me. The world's greatest prideful sinner. A murderer. A slanderer. A blasphemer. But he saved me. I thought I was somebody and that God owed me all of these things. But then I found out how much I was wrong. I didn't realize I was on the path to eternal doom. And yet Jesus died for even a wretch like me and he forgave me. And now everything that I had desired, remember my, my first name, Saul? Everything that I had desired, all through here is a play on, on his name from Saul to Paul. Everything that I desired as Saul, I count as loss. I don't have not my righteousness, but his. He forgave a wretched man like me and saved me. And then he says, that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. There's our phrase, in Christ. That I might be found in Him, not having my own righteousness that I thought that I was going to have. Not my own, but the righteousness which is through faith in God, that I might know Him, verse 10, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship with Him in His sufferings, I've become conformed even to his death, that if by any means I might attain 
to my own resurrection from the dead as he did. Not that I think that I've already attained anything, for I have. I don't think I've already attained anything in this life. No. But what does he say? I press on. And I want that to be your mindset today and through this week and through the rest of your lives. I press on. Listen to what he says about pressing on. You think that, that you've had bad days and you think that you've done things. You're nowhere close to the chiefest of sinners. And he said, I was blinded. I was led by the hand. I was told what I must do. And now by his amazing grace, all of my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven of me that I might have the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus and not of myself. And then his word is, I press on. I continue on. Now, I don't let those things hold me back. Now he continues on and he says, get up. Dust yourself off and move on with your life in Christ Jesus. He says there, I press on. Why? That I may lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of me on. Did you realize that Christ has laid hold of you? And He wants you to lay hold of eternal life in Him through the righteousness which is of Him. And He says, this one thing I do. What is it, Paul? Did you wallow in self-shame? Did you say that I can't be forgiven? I can't change my past? He says, no. This one thing that I do, I press on because Christ died for those sins. They are gone. They are counted as nothing. They are rubbish just like the treasures that I tried to hold on to. And then he says, to move me forward to forgiveness and to eternal life. So this one thing I also do. Here's the second key on pressing on. First, you got to press on. The second key is right here. I forget. I forgot. Those things which are behind me. I am now reaching forward to the things that rise ahead. And I am pressing toward the goal that Christ laid hold of me for. I am pressing on because I forget the past. I let it go. And I press on to what is the future. And it's the goal that Christ has laid hold of me for. For that eternal life. And he goes on then to say this. If you're following along up there. To those who are mature... Keep these things in mind. And if any one of you think otherwise, if you think that I can't press on, if you think I'm not forgiven, if you think I can't forget, he says this, I want you to become mature. But for those who do not understand this yet, hmm, he says, may God even reveal this truth to you so that you will continue to press on. Nevertheless, Wherever you are in this walk of faith, in this life, you are in Christ. You continue to walk by the same rule. You follow my example, he says, and the example of others who walk like I do. And you begin to follow that pattern for your life and to walk like us. For too many want to walk outside of that. And I've told you often about this, he says. And I tell you now, even weeping, he had such concern for the body of Christ who could not get these truths about forgiveness and moving on and forgetting and walking in grace and walking in Christ. He says, now I tell you even weeping. 
that many don't want to do that and they won't stay in it. And they become enemies of the cross and they go on in their own life to destruction. Whose God is their belly. And you know what that word is? Desires. Your belly. What you desire. What you're hungry for. See the play on words again. What you thought you was hungry for and what the world offered you is nothing. And it leads to destruction. It's so seductive, but it leads to your destruction. Follow my example. Forget those things. Press forward to the mark that he's called you for and laid hold on you on. They set their mind on earthly things and not spiritual. Beloved, our citizenship isn't in this world. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who will follow His example. And He will transform our lowly bodies, it says there. Guess what lowly bodies remind you of? Palos. I used to desire the treasures, Saul. I am now Paul. And I realize that my body is nothing but a lowly body, but... He's going to transform my lowly body into a glorious body like as his own and subdue all things to himself. So, folks, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus into simply Paul is one of the greatest examples to you and I of forgiveness, of being able to press on, of being able to forget those things that are behind and move forward in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to realize that He grabbed hold of me and has set me on a course for His eternal glory with Him. Amen. What what a glorious conversion and word of encouragement this is for us. Look up there at verse 13 and 14 again. This one thing I do. I've forgotten all those things like the murder, the blasphemy, the dragging people out of their houses, the stoning of Stephen and all those people that I murdered and their wives and their children and their mothers and fathers crying. I have to go back there and preach to these people. So I have to press on and I have to forget those things which were behind me and press on. So I have the same question as we begin to end as I asked in the beginning. What about you? Are you saved? Are you walking and following this pattern? Are you able to press on and forget those things that are behind and move forward to the high calling of Christ? I hope that you can because he's given us this example. The world's Greatest sinner gave us the example of how you can be a vessel of God and press on for his calling and be used by him. Ananias came while Paul was blind and said, the Lord Jesus that appeared to you and his appearances to us now and his word, his word is with us. And he says, he's appeared to you to be a chosen vessel. We are all. To be his chosen vessels in this life. And as our worship team comes on back up and returns. And we get ready to close this out. Paul described what would happen. What happened there when Ananias came to him. In Acts 22. 
verses 6 through 16. He described there as he was defending himself and giving his testimony. He said, I was blind. I was on the road. I was killing and persecuting Christians. And as I was on the road, the light shone around me. I was led by the hand into Damascus after three days. A man named Ananias come walking in and said, The Lord Jesus that saw you on the road has now said that you are his chosen vessel. Brother Saul, get up. And he says to him this, God has forgiven you. You've been praying for the forgiveness of your sins for three days. You've been cleansed from all of that unrighteousness. Then like Paul, he said, and this we do together, he said, He's faithful and just. Why do you wait? Get up. Be baptized into Christ and wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. And then he says this one thing that we do together. Now we all press on. We press on. We forget the past. We move on in our being vessels for God, used by him. And we follow the examples of Paul and the men that we read about in his word. So that we can attain that goal, it said, that he has laid hold on us for. So, has the Lord laid hold on your heart yet? Whether you're in Christ and you've already done that. Or whether you've, you're in Christ but you haven't been walking the way you wanted. Change that today. Today's the day. Just all you've got to do is pray and ask for forgiveness. First John chapter 1. Verse 9 says that if you will confess your faults to him, you don't have to confess it to anyone else. If you confess your faults to him in prayer like Paul was doing, he said he is faithful and just to forgive you of those things and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So whatever state you're in today, if you're in a good state, pray to keep being led that way. If you're not, pray that you will be that way. And let's all of us, Press on, forget the things of the past, and press on to the glory that he's called us for, and be his chosen vessels in this town, in this community, and in this body of Christ together. Let's stand and sing, please.